Welcome to Two Dope Boys and a Podcast. I'm Michael Brooks. I'm Phil McKenzie. Two Dope Boys is a shout out from the margins. Each week we break down trends using the lens of culture to shed light on what's significant to your future and why. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Sun's shining. It's warm. It's spring. I'm very happy. Spring has arrived. Finally. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, we are in Detroit at the Sustainable Brands Conference. We'll have a report for you on it next week. And obviously, you should be following me uh, on Instagram at, at Michael Jamal Brooks and at Two Dope Boys Pod on Instagram. And then, of course, at Farflung Phil on Twitter, at underscore Michael Brooks on Twitter uh, for updates. We're going to be giving a talk and all sorts of great things. We're rolling dolo this week. And we got to get to the brand F up. And the brand F up is a Kickstarter, which I have to say, um, as of today, I'm sure it will reach its goal. It's at $83,894. Basically, uh, wait a second, hold on. The goal was $10,000 and they've raised that much over it? It's possible. That's insane. That's insane. You don't even need to cut this. I think I'm reading that right. And that is fucking nuts. And basically what this is, is it's the original romp him. It's the romper for men. Uh, and there'll be a link to it on our show notes. And basically it's one of the most ridiculous looking things I've ever seen in my life. There's a frequently asked question thing such as, I don't get it. Who is this for? Anyone who wants to make a statement. Why can't I put my size and style when I check out? That's not to worry. That's just how Kickstarter works. We're reaching out to soon to you to confirm your size and style. Um, basically, what it is is what it sounds like. It's a romper for dudes, uh, and I'm never going to wear one of these things. Uh, I'm pretty confident that Phil won't either. You never know with Super Producer Matt, but this has been just trashed across the internet um esquire had a piece calling it the latest kind of like in bro fashion the bro romper exists and i don't want to live on this planet anymore uh the romp him wants to be the next big thing this summer this is by christina flemia i'm just going to quote really quick there's a lot to thank bros for in terms of modern menswear they've brought us boat shoes and fleece vests they've embraced body confidence in 5.25 5.25 inseam shorts. They've even made us re- rethink what it means to wear a classic gingham shirt. But today, in what might possibly be the most broest style move in all bro style, a new brand launched on Kickstarter that might change the face of menswear, the Romp Him. No, it's not a romper. It's a Romp Him. And yeah, I mean, it is a romper. It's a romper for dudes. It's, uh, I mean, it's fucking ridiculous, but they might have something here. Yeah, I've already ordered like <laughs> two pairs and and the whole nine yards. My my only critique was that I hope that these rompers, because I refuse to to use words like romp him, because that's just <laughs> super corny. I hope that they have accounted for like black man booty and all the rest of these things that tiny shorts never seem to account for. Because I remember a year ago I was having the argument online with just some friends and a couple of Facebook groups I'm in about cargo shorts because there was a huge pushback against cargo shorts. And I was like, well, they're the only shorts that fit like booty and legs and thighs and stuff. Like can't get rid of cargos. Like nothing else fits. I can't wear these little tiny hipster shorts. 
So <laughs> just off the top, these ain't made for brothers. But generally speaking, these ain't made for nobody. Like yeah, you, mean, you just you just can't rock this and expect me to respect you. Like, come on, son. Is this where we're at right now? This can't be what the world has come to. Yeah. I mean, I can't even add anything more to that. And I think, like, I have to say, too, like, maybe just because we're f fresh off of recording and on point about the rise of, like, the predatory for-profit college sector and then to see this thing meeting its Kickstarter goals, uh, the misalignment of resources in this society is beyond stunning. And maybe that's really what the bigger brand of it is that we're all fighting against. Now we got to get to what's up. So now we got to get to what's up. And this comes to us courtesy of AdAge. The question is, are traditional consultancies, places like IBM, uh, Accenture, places like that, that wouldn't necessarily be thought of as creative shops or places involved in marketing or creative services, are they sort of muscling into the creative and agency space um, in terms of marketing strategy and communications? And according to this ad age piece, the answer is yes. And I'm going to quote from it. This is a uh, Brian Whipple, who runs the sixth largest agency company in the world. But if you ask him about the practice of advertising, he sounds almost dismissive. We don't believe brands are built for, from advertising anymore, said Whipley, a former ad agency executive who's a senior management director of Accenture Interactive. They're built from an amalgamation of customer experiences. So that is what we are focused on. While ad agencies rarely bump into consultancies on big client pitches, the threat from Accenture Interactive, PWC Digital Services, IBM, IX, and Deloitte Digital is real. These consultancies are rising by gaining a foothold in marketing departments and wooing chief marketing officers with their vast array of strategic data and analytic solutions to big business problems that traditional uh, advertising can no longer solve. Uh, and they talk about, you know, there's there's some just truisms in this that obviously a successful brand campaign cannot just be sort of solved by, you know, putting together a budget, getting some creatives together, and then, you know, swamping TV with ads or, you know, or even doing digital spots that any brand exists in this broad ecosystem, obviously social media and audience participation and feedback, consumer experiences. So every aspect from your TV ads to your store experience to your Instagram interactions are in this constant overwhelming feedback loop. Now, where, you know, we would obviously caution is that, you know, if we go in the opposite direction and we overcorrect for creative challenges with a faith in data, uh, you know, that's going to lead you astray significantly as well. And that's, you know, where a certain aspect of the culture is. So I think, you know, in some ways it makes sense that agencies that maybe had grown complacent and sort of overly focused on certain aspects of a model that they're facing a challenge, but is always like the notion that there's salvation and data versus a more broad 
holistic framework and understanding that integrates ethnographic, deep cultural insight type of work that we do with a shrewd understanding of the numbers um, and a framework for them, you know, you're, you're not going to ultimately solve problems um, that you're looking to solve because, you know, the culture is always going to be faster than the company, no matter how clever the company's marketing is or how, you know, shrewd the social insights are. I think you're exactly right. And I think we have to move away from this idea of titles and specific silos. We, we always come back, no matter what the framing is, to some core concepts. We, right. You know, we've talked often on the show about a, a post-demographic reality. This idea that those who are looking to um, disseminate and, and, and share ideas and, and tell stories need to look beyond the usual distinctions of age, generational category, gender, and race, and tell a broader story and understand where those those areas actually come together as opposed to where they um, diverge. So where they converge rather than where they diverge. And I think the industry is going through a similar metamorphosis where the lines between a ad agency, which traditionally is thought of as a as a place for creative, is is blurring between a traditional consultancy where their expertise was often thought of as, depending on the consultancy, obviously more of a technical expertise, um, more of a organizational structure expertise. But now people are being squeezed by two different ends of the spectrum. One, you're looking at more of a, a deep dive into the world of experience. Like you mentioned, you can no longer flood certain channels with one particular message and expect that message to carry the day, so to speak. So you have to give people more of an experience, an experience that connects to them, which is where the culture piece, I think, comes in. And then on the, on the other side of that, of that market, you're faced with brands that would have traditionally gone to an agency in whatever form it takes to tell their story. And they're largely telling that story themselves. You know, they're building enough of an audience using a lower barrier of entry, whether that's um, social media or their own platforms or they're building out their own experiences or they're partnering directly with organizations that they would have otherwise had to go to agencies to broker those sort of relationships. You know, they're sponsoring film festivals and, and they're, they have agents at CAA, you know, like right. that, that's another piece that I think wasn't really mentioned here is Hollywood agents that used to just be thought of as doing talent. You know, I rep insert name of, of star Hollywood star or or um, musician or, or what have you now agencies uh, you know talent agencies are getting into marketing relationships and building out campaigns and they're looking to rep you know people that are coming up from the YouTube world and you know podcasts and things like yeah, that yeah. like Absolutely. you know th the entire story is being upended as to who is in charge of of creative 
And I think that that's ultimately the story that that's going to be unfolding over and over and over again. Like who gets a piece of this of this pie? That's true, but I th- I also think though that another thing that's being potentially missed here in this conversation is still like one of the most obvious connection points to me between say like a traditional kind of consultancy work and uh, brand and agency work would be consultancy work that really focused on organizational culture, not not you know just like you know efficiencies and that type of thing. I mean, that can overlap too, but you know, any type of work that really focused on how people actually work together, what a company culture and experience is like, and what's actually happening inside these organizations, which are, you know, mostly actually just kind of like giant dysfunctional bureaucracies like any others. They just happen to be accountable to shareholders in the private sector versus, you know, accountable you know, taxpayers or, you know, nonprofit donors. I mean, you know, big and it, big is a category unto itself that leads to dysfunction in a lot of ways, regardless of sector. Obviously, this this myth that, you know, if you're in the private sector, you're escapable. You're escaping that logic. You're not. Um, you know, we've talked with Grant McCracken about that sense of companies sort of being like a ghost on a ship. But that said, um, you know. People doing that real work that I think that that overlaps very directly with get with what gets produced creatively. Like we're designing and offering along with our collaborator Chuck Welch on this idea of like this brand f up avoidance, because as you know from listening to this show, like you know the brand f up can be entertaining, um, but it usually leads you to a whole chain of recognition about a whole range of things that aren't working from company culture to execution to ideas and assumptions about race and gender and you know everything else so i think if consultancies come in from the framework that you're talking about which is that this is a much broader more complex thing that requires much broader more holistic and integral solutions then of course that's going to be an improvement but if it's just the kind of stale i think in some ways already dated like oh well we don't do you know creativity anymore we're going to have i have a data data answer for you and we do the real stuff well i mean we know you know we we've already you know i mean one of the largest organizations on the planet that relied on data um you know couldn't stop us from uh from having you know this this fucking game show sociopath as our president yeah D- data is yeah. not your, not your, salvation. your sole answer yeah. yeah it's not your salvation you have to go beyond the data only it's just numbers unless you have it make sense yeah. you know and the only thing that makes it make sense is people and the opportunity here whether you call yourself a consultancy or advertising agency or a data marketing shop or whatever your title or distinction is is to attract and motivate and empower talent and to find that talent in as diverse a number of settings and experiences as you can the more you can either bring in people like ourselves um you know people like chuck from from rupture studio always shout out to chuck always always you know um our our crew that that work in any number of different um function they're filmmakers they're they're writers they're content creators um they they run the gamut 
and and that just goes in this one room much less if you extend your scope of vision to other rooms the piece that's that's missing here is that looking and identifying and empowering talent that doesn't look like what you're already having your rooms and advertising agencies struggle with issues around diversity and inclusion and retention that's the piece that's often left out of that chain should be instead of d and i should be d i and r you know diversity inclusion and retention of talent and consultancies don't do much better (laughs) you know so you know when i when i see studies like this what worries me is that we're gonna still regardless of what you call yourself be challenged to come up with solutions that look like the market that you're trying to serve yeah that's exactly it and that's what's up now we got to get to what's next now we want to jump to what's next and the backdrop for this conversation is actually entails a few things that we've already talked about on the show one of them being the spectacular disaster that that the gift that keeps giving of the fry festival um <laughs> scam up, exactly it was fire that's fire why. dude fire festival fire ah uh, straight fire you know like straight fire 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 like being F-Y-R-E. a fucking like re mosquito uh, net while you're like fire. eating like like day old, you know, like chicken burgers. The garbage dump ja Rule fire. Is That's looking a perfect at you. way of thinking about it. I love it. You know what? It just shows you that, like, you know, several years ago, Bernie Madoff made a fortune for decades of getting like the highest net worth individuals in the world to like give him, like, you know, at a minimum, like five hundred million dollars to get into the hedge, and he just paid him out and gave him earnings that no rational person could ever expect could ever be produced by any hedge fund no matter how brilliant and now like the new 2017 like trump era millennial like the new scam is just like you might be able to touch rihanna's titty and you'll be on pablo escobar's island that'll be twenty thousand. psych sweet thought (laughs) But I, I, think, I think you missed the core of the lesson there, but fair enough. But we have it a, is a powerful it is a, I think this article, to rewind with the Fire Festival and the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad and her appearance on India Vogue, um, their 10th anniversary issue, all of these were used as data points in an article from the New York Times called The Rise and in Perens, Maybe Fall of Influencers. By Vanessa Friedman. This came out May 10th. For those who want to read the article, it's not very long. And it provides this backdrop of something that myself and, and others have been wrestling with, with this idea of influence. And I think the the fact that you mentioned Bernie, Bernie Madoff is a is a actually very astute observation because influencers and influence has become just another form of paid media totally and when i started influencer conference in in 2010 the idea was not so much about celebrity and paid media you know this was seven years ago a lot of these words weren't even really bandied about in the same way and i'm sensitive to articles like this one not because i started an event called influencer conference that is not of particular importance to me but what is important is this idea that 
you know, the world of influence and influencers has become like a Ponzi scheme. It's become this idea coupled with data that you can just assign a paid media price to plug in a person that has a certain number of Twitter followers or um, Instagram followers or whatever the case might be, these media impressions, and you just plug in, plug them into whatever it is you're doing. And by extension, that thing, whether it's a bullshit festival or a um, or a marketing campaign or a magazine or whatever it is you might be peddling is going to be successful. And that is a completely broken model about what influence and influence are supposed to be like. Obviously, celebrities have influence. They always have from Michael Jackson selling Pepsi to, you know, whatever in celebrity endorsement that you want to think of. But now with with the use of of data, it's become the low hanging fruit for unimaginative um, brand teams and PR people and, you know, low level hucksters like Ja Rule who want to take advantage of idiots, you know, <laughs> and, and what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with taking advantage of idiots, you know, but that's that's really what's become the central problem here that, you know, this is just we're conflating the actual idea of influence, which I've always maintained is a value proposition between yourself and another person. It's an idea of trust. Right. Um, more, you were just conflating those ideas with the ideas of celebrity and traditional paid media. And because it's under the veneer of Instagram and Twitter, it's somehow different than a regular commercial spot that we would have seen, you know, decades ago. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely. And not only that, it's also missing some really important, you know, distinctions in and of itself. I mean, we talk a lot about on this show, I mean, two different aspects of this. Number one, that there are far, far fewer. I mean, you talk about Michael Jackson. There's barely an equivalent of Michael Jackson today. No. So even those those notions of like, even in the people that are playing in that realm, like Beyonce, it's still like universal symbols are still a much smaller part of our culture today to begin with. And then when you get into the social media realm, I mean, we've, I mean, you know, use this point so many times that you know there's intensity of following there's purpose for following there's you know i mean i i see this because you know i also obviously do a lot of work around politics and independent media and i'll just speak really you know bluntly here in a mercenary way now i've i've you know had to play particularly on twitter and myspace to you know, build up a decent following, have good ratios, and all that stuff. That's important for my work. But you know, if I eight months ago jumped on some of the dumbest arguments that were available in my corner of media, I would have you know quadrupled the following. And I've seen a lot of people ride a lot of dumb shit to numbers while the ideas of their colleagues or other people in the space of discerning consumers of information that want to be respected that want to have completely evaporated so 
you know, for the first distinction when we've talked about this before was like, what are you tuning into somebody for? Okay, maybe you know everybody's going to tune into Kanye, but I don't really care what Kanye says actually about most of anything other than really just his music. Then there might be someone, you know, I mean, Waz is another kind. I mean, in some way, we're you know very similarly positioned in some ways. Like Waz is you know known, he's established. He doesn't have like a you know he's not a massive superstar, but he's established. I want to know what Waz says about sports, and I want to know what Waz says about politics, and he's a funny dude. So I'm going to check in on that. And his endorsement of something or suggestion that I download a song or go to a new restaurant or club is significantly more important to me than, than you know some of the big names. And then, and then the other thing, too, that your numbers can rise as your credibility shrinks is a whole other thing that this isn't addressing. And numbers can always be gamed. When, you, when you're now making everything a function of a numbers game, and we've argued this in front of brands for years and years and years. I've walked into offices and pitched people that I knew were better for projects because I was like, they're gonna have the audience, they're, they have the credibility, and they're going to be able to speak in a very authentic way in their world that your product merely by association will now be elevated in the minds of the people who are at this particular event. And if you just go to insert celebrity here, that's going to be meaningless. And right. a lot of these clients at the time were were spirit brands and in a city like New York, you can eat and drink for free in New York every night. If, th if that's your inclination and you're plugged into the right circles, you got something to go to every night for some. Something's opening and it's sponsored by some bar. Right. So people game these nights just to go drink for free. And the person that you might have aligned to promote it, nobody cares. People <laughs> right. just walk into the room. They'd be like, yo, what are we here for? Oh, what they pouring at the bar? Oh, how long's that last for? And then when when the open if the open bar is from eight to ten, at ten oh three, everybody's gone. They cleared out to the to the next spot or to go grab something to eat before they go out to the real spot. And that's just the reality of the situation. So numbers can can always be gamed. And when, you know, you mentioned segueing into a political conversation when you've seen the effect that data manipulation can make on followers and how memes are spread right. all of those kind of things to a certain perspective this is all pay for play on both sides totally. you know brands and companies are paying celebrities for paid media and people who want to kind of get into the mix and get those checks are spending money to generate fake accounts, fake users, fake clicks, and and spread whatever nonsense it is that they're spreading. Right. And there's a really interesting story uh, over a year ago uh, about a guy. He's I think it was either Bloomberg.com had this story where he wanted he was a writer, just a nondescript guy, and wanted to become like an Instagram celebrity. Right. You know, and he hired an agency to do that. They went out and got professional photos. Right. They got him a wardrobe. 
and they enlisted the bots to help get his message out there. He had, you know, nondescript followers and went to like five digit followers. Yeah. And if he was willing to spend more, it could have been six figures. So, you know, you you can't play that numbers game and expect to have any long term effect. And you can't use these episodes of the Ponzi scheme world that we're living in to say that influence no longer matters. It's a much richer and deeper conversation than to use, you know, the Kardashians of the world and the Ja Rule Ponzi scheme festivals of the world to make that sweeping a generalization. Yeah, and also, I mean, you know, the, the other trouble is is that influencer, like, you know, it's one of these words. It's become obnoxious through its use and through its deployment. But, you know, in the way you used it when you founded the conference before it was a trendy word, and even just historically, I mean, influencer can be used to describe anybody from, you know, Machiavelli to Barry Gordy, right? Like it's not, in some ways, it's just you're talking about someone who has either a particular expertise or a particular eye or a particular uh, skill set or a particular perception that has enough value to any group of people where they are, you know, literally spreading influence. So, you know, in some ways, it's, it's, it's both way more simple and obvious and less, you know, stupid and convoluted than the numbers game has become. But on the other hand, from the perspective of trying to actually figure out how to work with it in an effective, smart, profitable way or a way that advances a social cause or a movement, it's a lot more complicated because you, again, th I mean, this is the thesis of our consulting. This is the thesis of the show. This is the thesis of every single thing we do. If you don't get into the culture, you don't understand the ocean that you're swimming in, you can grab onto little trinkets and little salvations and numbers, and they're not really going to get you anywhere unless it's, you know, specifically for a very limited and narrow task. And maybe that is your task. Maybe it's as simple as the writer saying, hey, I want more numbers. Well, great. That's real simple. But most challenges um, that any, you know, business, government, whatever deals with are not like that. They're far more complicated. They're cultural. And influence is exactly the right kind of place that we need to pull the reins back and actually have a full you know holistic approach to it if anything this is an opportunity i think we yeah. can we can use these moments these watershed moments that have been mentioned in this article and in other places to um reclaim the word and reclaim the space you know this has always been like i said a culture around shared values you know and you know this is an opportunity to to pull that back from the data miners and the the lazy brand managers and you know the the fake the people who have the fake following on on things like instagram you know Absolutely. we can we can take this back so our what's next mission is going to be reclaim influence and influencer culture and that's what's next so now we got to get to the crates this is a pick from culture that makes your life better more effective more fun 
I'm going to give you a book recommendation. It's called The Brothers, John Foster Dulles, Alan Dulles, and Their Secret World War by Stephen Kinzer. It came out with 2013. I interviewed Stephen Kinzer on it for the Majority Report. And uh, it basically you know, gives you an assessment of these two brothers, um, one of whom who was Secretary of State, that's John Foster Wallace, the other whom was the... John Foster Dulles, rather, excuse me, the other of whom, uh, Alan Dulles, was the CIA director. And it kind of explains both their, on an interpersonal level, they actually were obviously very close and they did have different personalities, but they shared a fanatical belief system which converged a kind of, you know, a really primitive American-style market fundamentalism a profoundly paranoid anti-communism and those you know views happen to perfectly overlap with advancing the arms industry their own bureaucratic influence and interest inside american government and led to i mean really all sorts of on on the kind of superpower level you know machination strategy but across the you know, whatever term we're using, third world, developed world, places of that, you know, can be subjugated subjugated to power from, you know, Guatemala to, uh, you know, Somalia. Um, these guys generated a tremendous amount of bloodshed. And, you know, their record is a major part of our sort of unacknowledged history of all the damage, unfortunately, that America foreign policy has, you know, contributed to the world and continues to contribute to the world. And it's a history that more Americans, it's a context that Americans need to understand if we're gonna, you know, operate effectively in the world today and, and understand where other people are coming from. So the brothers, uh, John Foster Dulles, Alan Dulles, and their secret world war by Stephen Kinzer. That's my pick, what you got, man? Um. My pick is interesting, I hope, this week because it's not actually a it's not a movie or a book or or anything like that. I guess in a way it's books. Um my pick this week is the library. Um huh, yeah. you know, I, I used to love the library when I was a kid, which kinda would inform you to what type of kid I was, but I loved going to the library. And the library in my neighborhood, I grew up in Brownsville in Brooklyn was wasn't the best library and i was a little bit of a of a of a nerd or a lot of a nerd and i read through this library and i remember my first moments in new york where i was able to take i started to be able to take public transportation by myself was when i went to a library in a part of brooklyn called mill basin and i had to take the b78 bus there from brownsville it ran down ralph avenue to take me to mill basin and my dad eventually got tired of taking me so it was like, yo, you got to go by yourself. <laughs> so it was like, here's a token. Here are two tokens. One's going to get you there and one's going to get you back. And you can go to the library and do whatever you want. Come back, get your books and what have you. And, you know, I would read and read and read. And I want to go back to the library. Like, I want to go get a library card and, right. and do all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I had one back in the day, but I haven't used a New York City public library for anything other than internet and writing because I do – um, go to the library often to write. Um, but I want to start to like borrow books and uh. do that kind of thing. So I was actually talking to, and a shout out to our 
international crew member, Young Kim, we were talking today and I was remarking to him about my desire to go back to the library. He was sharing some of his stories. And so it just sort of crystallized in my mind that there's something there to talk about. And, you know, we should use their incredible public resources. We should all use them more. And that's my pledge to go and get my library card and use the library a little bit more as a as a reader rather than a writer. So libraries, wherever they are. Love it. Join us on Twitter at Two Dope Boys Pod, on Two Dope Boys Pod at Instagram at Michael Jamal Brooks on Instagram. I'm trying. Uh, thank you as always, brother. Another great ride. Another Appreciate great ride. It. Super producer Matt Leck, creative director Shauna Wan. We'll be back Thursday for Point.